Let's have a word of prayer before we begin, so I invite you to bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together and worship thee on your holy Sabbath day. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray for the Spirit to be with us now, to open our hearts and our minds to your truth, uh, to soften our hearts, to accept it, and uh, that we may have discernment to recognize this truth. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will uh, seal this truth within our hearts and our minds and give us the abilities and the gifts that we need to share what we learn from your word with others in our family, in our neighborhood, and in, and through the world, uh, throughout the world. Uh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this gift of Jesus Christ and his death for us at Calvary. His resurrection gives us the hope that we may see him soon. And Father, give me the words to speak this morning. Uh, may they be your words and not my opinions. And may hearts be prepared to receive this truth. We're coming into a time, Lord, that uh, you've spoken of in your holy word, and things are going to get tougher. And so, Lord, we pray for the Spirit to be with us and to prepare us for that time. We thank you so much for Jesus and for hearing this prayer, for we ask it in his blessed name, for he's so worthy. Amen. Well, friends, I want to talk about uh, as we, we're getting into uh, the last scenes now, I want to talk about this, this endurance that we need to have, uh, something that we need to attain uh, to, to make it through the time that we're entering into. Um, you know, we're getting closer to the second coming, and the devil, he's throwing a number of things at us in an attempt to to trip us up in our walk with Jesus. And he just needs us distracted for a moment in order to divert us onto a pathway that leads, well, ultimately leads to death and hell. And for some reason, you know, as I think about this, for some reason we tend to be so easily distracted, don't we? Especially in this age. Um, there are so many things that the devil throws out at us that, that are distractions. And maybe it's because we tend to think we know what's best for us when it is really God that knows what's best for us. Isn't that true? You know, we kind of maybe give God a try. And if that doesn't work out, well, then He either doesn't hear us or, or care about us enough to help. But is that really true? Has that been your experience? Maybe God isn't the one that's not listening, though. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe we are the ones that have uh, the hearing problems. Every one of us has hardships to deal with, and hopefully we will learn from them. Uh, if we hang with God, then He'll see us through the hardships, and He's going to teach us something meaningful about uh, that experience that will edify our walk, and it'll edify our character. And that's what God's concerned about. He's concerned about our character. If we let go of God uh, through the hardships, then we're left with the devil, you see, to teach us lessons. And his lessons are of rebellion and of spite. And that'll form our character to be like his. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we don't want to have his character. You see, beloved, the devil wants to break our will to live for and with God. He wants to break our will. And he'll use anything and anybody to do it. He'll use family members. And he'll use them quite often, actually. Those who aren't consecrated to God. Those who don't look to God for, for uh, salvation and help. <clears throat> and he'll use family members to, to distract us and break our will. He'll use our spouses, or he'll use old or new friends. He'll use television. He'll use the internet, social media, etc., whatever. He'll use it to put pressure on us to give in to worldliness and to give in to sin. and As the Bible says, pleasure for a season, you see. And none of us 
none of us are immune to these trials. But our destiny depends on how we deal with them. Isn't that true? We will steadfastly, or will we, steadfastly endure the trials and temptations and receive eternal life, or will we give in to them and be destroyed uh, eventually in hellfire? You know, what the devil says is the second death. There is a scripture I want to share with you. It means a tremendous amount to me, personally. Um, And I want to share it with you in the hope that it will encourage you to hang in there with the Lord, especially through the tough times and the times we're entering into. It's found in Philippians 1, verse. it's verse 6. Philippians 1, verse 6. Paul says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If we are to have a steadfast endurance that takes us through uh, the fiery days of temptations, we, we must have a confidence, friends, that God will do what He has promised to do. And this is what Paul's talking about. He's saying he's seeing we, we can be confident in this very thing that God's going to do, He's going to perform what He has promised to do for us. It's not left to us to save ourselves, is it? It's not left to us to finish the work that God has started in us. Jesus has promised that He's going to finish that work. And so, we must learn to trust God implicitly with all things pertaining to our life, especially when we don't see the results that we may be expecting to see. And this is what it means to have confidence. A trust that God is in control. And we are okay with Him in that position. And that's the hard part, isn't it? Isn't that the hard part? Letting God be in control of our life. Don't we like to have some control, a little bit of control? And this is what God's trying to teach us. He's trying to teach us that we need to let go of control and let Him have total control. And Paul wants us to remember that God is the author of our salvation, so He will finish the book of our life if we allow Him to keep writing. And that's the question for us, my friends. Will we steadfastly endure the working of God in our life? There is going to be a generation of people who will have steadfast endurance unto the coming of Jesus Christ. And I want to have endurance to that time. What about you? You want to be able to endure and see Jesus face to face when He comes? And don't you long to see Jesus face to face now? I want to share with you, this is a scripture that that we're very familiar with. It's found in the book of Revelation, chapter 14. And it's verse 12. And we've read this many times. It says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now the English word patience there, it's better rendered steadfast endurance. And that's why I'm talking about this endurance here. The context there calls attention to the this fearful struggle with the beast in his image. Every attempt, you see, will be made to force the saints to join this movement promoted by the second beast, including the threat of boycott and eventually death. There is going to be a death decree. And through all this, the faithful remnant, they steadfastly endure. They endure it all, and they maintain their integrity through it all. Now, how did they get this endurance? Because they... They have a wand that's waved over them by God that gets them out of trouble. You know, there are many Christians that believe that. You know, God's in their their little box, and whenever they run into an issue, they pull God out of the box, and they pray to the God that's in the box, and God will deliver them. Well, friends, that's what the devil wants you to believe. He wants you to believe that you you have this idol, this token that you can pull out whenever you run into trouble. And, and God waves a wand and, and gets you out of it. Is that how you get this endurance? 
Or is it because they've worked out their own salvation with fear and trembling, as the Apostle says, trusting God in all things, no matter the difficulty? Which would it be? What does the Bible teach us? Do you want to have the ability to steadfastly endure all the trials of life, especially those associated with battling the beast? And friends, it's at our doorstep here. We're very close to this time. Do you want to have that ability? Do you want to have that endurance? I know I do. I want to be able to endure it. Well, now's not the time to lose heart. Now's the time to strengthen our love for Christ. Let's not lose our first love. Not now, friends. Now's the time to draw closer to Christ and each other. And that prepares us for what lies ahead. You know, the sins we committed last week or yesterday, they cannot be undone. What is past is past. It cannot be changed. But we can be forgiven. And we can be changed so that we don't make the same mistakes we used to. And this takes faith and work. That's what Paul was talking about. Work out your own salvation. It takes faith. It takes work. And so, friends, I want to encourage you. You can't quit now in your walk with the Lord because we're so very close to the kingdom. We're we're right on the threshold of the return of our Savior. You know, this summer here has been a very strange one. Haven't you noticed that that uh, the weather patterns have changed, and you know, it seems anyway. And uh, uh, you look at the world, and you see calamities, natural calamities, and and you just people that are of the world know that something's going on. But this last few weeks this summer, we had several very hot and humid days, and and uh, thank God we had the blessing of air conditioning. I want to tell you. It was so hot and humid outside that no one really wanted to leave the house. I know I didn't. <laughs> but no matter the weather, there are responsibilities that we got to handle. And, and so, you know, one of, one of the things I had to do, I had to replace the motor on our lawnmower. And I really didn't want to do it in such heat, but it had to be done. It's just one of those things that, that has to be done. And, and let me tell you, I was very glad to be done with it, to get it over with. Not only was it hot, it was a messy job. I mean, it was grungy. It was just, uh, it was just terrible. But, uh, you know, we love it when our work's done. You know, we love it when the, the trial that we're going through is over. Because, you know, we like to be happy. We like the feeling when we have made it through a tough situation. We like it that it's past and it's over with, don't we? I mean, there's a, like a sense of joy and of well-being once again in our our uh, our life. We can rest, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, but often here on this earth, the trial's not over, is it? We're not finished, and many times, if you sit and you really think about it, we're just getting started. And so we often wish we were at the end when we have really only begun. You know, I, I'd come inside, I was working on mower, I'd come inside and I had to, to search for wiring diagrams for the lawnmower because the new motor was wired differently than the old one and, and I made the mistake of sitting down. And when I sat down, I got comfortable. And this made it more difficult to get up and go back to work. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? We... We are in the time, friends, when you can't sit down. Because the job's not done yet, friends. People need to hear the message, the three angels' messages. And and more than that, really, they need to see the life of Christ performed in our life. And this is the time, especially, that we need endurance. And that's why I want to talk about this. The Bible, however, actually has a lot to say about it. You know, there was a time when the Israelites were in the wilderness, and it was years before they would be in Canaan. They had to go through the middle of the wilderness, hot, dry, you know, terrible. Sometimes you may feel like you're in a hot, dry wilderness or in an an ocean of difficulties, but, 
um, I want to encourage you. God has not left you alone. Remember, God took the Israelites through the wilderness. He was there. And so, you know, Jesus has promised he's going to be with us. In Isaiah 43 and verse 2, notice what it says. It says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Isn't that beautiful? God's not going to leave us a to, to be alone. Jesus will always be with you. You see, and we need His presence, don't we? We still have many mountains to climb, friends, as we come to the close of time. But in the midst of trials, even in the midst of trials, we have moments of peace. Moments when we feel that for now everything's okay. But trials on this earth come again, don't they? And we find ourselves in the furnace again and again. And let me tell you, it's going to increase as the devil's more enraged now than ever before. He knows his time's short. And the Bible tells us that he has a hatred for God. He has a hatred for uh, the remnant people of God. And so we need endurance to withstand, uh, to withstand the devil's attacks. We need endurance uh, to go through this character-forming process. And so it's my hope to point you towards the one who knows the most about endurance. And uh, uh, I'm going to share with you Hebrews 12 and verse 2. I, I, I bring it up a lot because it, it's, it's such a, a beautiful illustration and, and encouragement to me. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus. And that's what we need to do, isn't it? We need to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I want you to notice that he is the beginning and the end. Isn't that what he, the Bible tells us? He is the author. He writes it. He is the finisher. He finishes the work. Remember what we read in Philippians 1 and verse 6. It says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured, didn't he? He endured. And the endurance of Jesus was based on the joy that he could see in the future. Did you know that? The future joy was so real to him that he endured the tortures, friends, of Calvary. He took no account of, for example, the mean remarks made of him. You know, as it says in Isaiah, he despised the shame. He despised the shame. And we can learn about this kind of marvelous endurance by looking, well, at various examples. First is the story of a man who didn't pass the endurance test. I'll probably spend a great deal of time on this because it's a perfect example. And he was a great man. He fought and he won many, many, many battles with God. He had subdued self. He had won. But finally, even he was overcome. He got impatient. He got angry. His name is Moses. And he was much like any one of us before God helped him. Notice what it says in uh, the book, The Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 313. Speaking about Moses. It says he was naturally impatient. He was naturally impatient. Are you impatient? <laughs> I can tell you, <laughs> I can be impatient. But here speaking about Moses, he was naturally impatient, but he had taken hold firmly of the grace of God and so humbly implored wisdom from heaven that he was strengthened from God and had overcome his impatience so that he was called by God the meekest man upon the face of the whole earth. Isn't it? A promise for us? She says that he was called by God. God had worked with him on his character that he would be called the meekest man upon the face of the whole earth. And that should be very encouraging. Moses was not naturally a patient man, but he had to overcome his natural tendencies, and one of which was his impatience. 
but a sad time came in the life of Moses. He had been putting up with a stiff-necked and, and rebellious people for 40 years. That's a long time, friends. He had long endured their complaining, but he eventually became weary of it. Sometimes what a person is strong at first to resist um, over time starts getting under their skin and it becomes difficult to bear. Has, has that happened to you? I mean, I've noticed that in my life as I uh, get older. <laughs> we all get older, don't we? I mean, the storm continues to rage and those that have stood against the, uh, the apostasy for a long time, they get weary. And, and this is the situation that Moses was in. For 40 years, the people had complained and complained. And, and just to put it bluntly, he was sick and tired of it. He was sick and tired of it. Do you ever get sick and tired of something? You know, well, Moses did. And the Lord did something very interesting at this point. We need to consider how the Lord deals with people. Because sometimes he might deal with us that very same way. Actually, many times I think he does, <laughs> you know. But uh, if we look at this, the Lord, back there in Israel, the Lord had given them water out of the rock, hadn't he? For 40 years, as they went through the wilderness, uh, they had all the water that they needed. God supplied it. But here they come to, to the promised land. And just before they were ready to go into the promised land, the water stopped. Now, why would the water stop? Why would God stop supplying that water there in the wilderness. Well, he wanted to test their endurance to see if it had increased, you see. He wanted to know just how ready his people were you know, before they went into the promised land. Again, from the same uh, volume 1 of the Spirit of Prophecy, page 309, says, The Lord caused the living streams to cease... To prove his people again to see if they would endure the trial of their faith or would again murmur against him. So, you know, let's get the, let's get it, uh, the time right. They weren't in danger of dying of thirst. So don't think, you know, well, he was just cutting them off so they could suffer. That wasn't what it was about. <coughs> Excuse me. They were going into a country, remember, where they could have water. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Bible says. So, the Lord tested his people. This is what he was doing. He hoped his people would trust him. But what had happened? Well, they failed the test again, didn't they? They murmured. They complained. Let's go to Numbers chapter 20. Let's go to Numbers chapter 20. This is, this is where we find it. Numbers 20 and verse 3 says, And the people chided with Moses, and spake, saying, Would God that we had died with our, when our brethren died before the Lord. Isn't that something? Have you ever heard anybody say things like that? Now they were talking about um, when their brethren, who were in direct rebellion against God and Moses, had died there in the rebellion of, you remember, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, where the earth opened up and, and swallowed them alive. What they were really saying, that these people, who were in direct rebellion against God, would have treated them better than Moses. That's what they were saying. you believe it? Moses had gone with them for 40 years. And here, this is what they were really saying. You know, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, they would have treated us much better than you. And so, Moses, well, he was bitterly disappointed. And let me tell you something about disappointment. Disappointment can lead to discouragement. And discouragement, the devil uses that as a tool, you see, friends. Discouragement will lead you, it can lead you, to sin. And we've studied about the danger of disappointment before. But let me share this little sentence with you. It's from the book Acts of the Apostles, page 265. It says, Disappointment often leads to unbelief. So see, it's, the, it's a tool that the devil can use against you, see, to lead you to unbelief. And when you get to unbelief, it'll lead you to sin. And Moses fell into unbelief. 
at this moment here. And just for a moment. And that's all it takes, you see. He thought that because the people had complained that the Lord wouldn't let this last generation that had gone through the wilderness go into Canaan, the promised land. That's what he's thinking. I mean, can you imagine? He said, he's probably thinking, am I going to have to stay out here in this wilderness for more years with these people? And so as Moses started thinking, what happened? He became angry. He became very angry with the people. For 40 years, he tried to show them the love of God. And when they complained, he tried to stop it. And here they were, at it again. It's hard to live with contrary people day after day, isn't it? Have you ever had to do that? I mean, <laughs> here Moses was with them 40 years, a contrary, rebellious people. He's trying to show the meekness and love of God to them. And, and they're just contrary, day after day. Well, friends, just think of how long God has lived with us. Moses had to deal with it for 40 years. How long has God had to deal with us? Aren't we a rebellious, stiff-necked people? But the record says, he became weary with the continual murmuring of the people against him. They were continually murmuring. They were continually nagging and contradicting Moses. And so it was very frustrating to Moses. And by taking his eyes off of God, he made the mistake. And here's the mistake, and this is what happens to us as well. He took it personally. But you see, really, the people weren't murmuring against Moses. But they were murmuring against God, weren't they? But Moses forgot that he was hidden, you see, under the shadow of God. Again, just for a moment. And that's all it takes. It was just for a moment. Let me ask you, friends, do you ever run out of patience with people? It seems that someone else should be a better Christian, doesn't it? Certainly know they know the right thing to do. You've witnessed to them, right? You've done everything you know. They don't seem to be responding to what you're sharing with them. I mean, what's wrong with them? Right? Sometimes we forget that the work's not ours, but it's God's work. And by taking our eyes off of God, we make the same mistake that Moses made. We take it personally. Well, here's the story of how Moses gave in to his disappointment and frustrations. Let's go back to Numbers chapter 20. Look at verse 8. Here God's speaking to Moses. He's telling him what to do here. He says, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock. So thou shalt give the congregation congregation and their beasts drink. Well, what was Moses to do? What did God tell him to do? He was to take his rod, but he was not to strike the rock, was he? He was to speak to the rock. He'd struck the rock 40 years earlier, didn't he? You remember that? But the rock was only to be smitten once. That means hit, strike it. It was only to be struck once. Well, let me ask you a question. Why not strike the rock again? Why wasn't he just... I mean, 40 years before he struck the rock, why not, you know, strike it again? Well, friends, that rock represented Jesus Christ, didn't it? Who was smitten once for us. And just like uh, Moses was counseled, he was to, to speak to the rock. Today we only need to speak to Jesus and ask for the water of life. Notice this from the Desire of Ages, page 194. To every soul, however sinful, Jesus says, If thou hadst asked of me, I would have given thee living water. We don't need to strike Jesus. We just need to ask. You see, that water of life was purchased for us on the cross. Today we can receive it freely. But when he comes the second time, he's not going to be smitten again, is he? That is what the Lord wanted to show everyone through all ages with this wonderful illustration here 
with Moses and the rock. It's a beautiful illustration. Let's go on to verse 9 there in Numbers 20. What did Moses do? Did he, did he talk to the rock? Let's find out. It says, And Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said unto them, Hear now ye rebels. Well, that don't sound very good, does it? <laughs> Hear now ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and with his rod he smote the rock. Not once, friends. It says he, he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. When I read this, I was like, uh-oh. Did Moses do as the Lord had commanded him? Did he patiently handle the, the rebellious murmurings of the people again? I mean, he'd been doing it for 40 years. Or did he let his natural inclination and impatient tendency get the better of him? Spirit of Prophecy, Volume 1, page 310 says, Here Moses sinned. He became weary with the continual murmuring of the people against him. What had happened, friends? She says, He became weary with the continual murmuring of the people against him. You know, those of you who are parents, when we raise our children, God uses children and family to teach us more about himself, doesn't he? Do you Did you ever get <laughs> weary of the murmuring of your children? It's a great lesson, isn't it? But where did Moses fail? Where did he fail in this? Did he fail uh, uh, by telling a lie? Did he tell a lie to the people? Well, although he didn't portray the character of Christ correctly, he didn't actually lie with his words, did he? I mean, when Moses angrily uh, commanded the people, Here now ye rebels, he was telling the truth, wasn't he? Were they not rebellious? But even though what Moses said was the truth, it was offensive to God. And let that be a lesson to us, friends. We can share the truth in such a way that it is offensive to God. Notice this from Patriarchs and Pro Prophets, page 417. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 417. This accusation, and, this, and she's speaking about this incident, says this accusation was true, but even truth is not to be spoken in passion or impatience. When he took it upon himself to accuse them, and that's speaking of Moses, he grieved the Spirit of God and wrought only harm to the people. His lack of patience and self-control was evident. Now that's interesting, isn't it? In other words, the whole congregation saw him get mad. This is something that they hadn't seen before. Now they've seen him show righteous anger. Okay, but this was different. They hadn't seen this before. They heard the angry tones in his voice. It could be seen, you see, by the people. It made a terrible impression. God's character was misre misrepresented by what Moses did here. Why did Moses fall? Back to Patriarchs and Prophets. She says, Wearied with the continual murmuring and rebellion of the people, Moses had lost sight of his Almighty Helper. That's the key, isn't it? It was by looking to themselves appealing to their own sympathies that they unconsciously fell into sin. I want you to notice, she says they unconsciously fell into sin. And what got them there? It was by looking to themselves and appealing to their own sympathies. So, that's what they did, and they unconsciously fell into sin and failed to set before the people their great guilt before God. And this is speaking of Moses and Aaron. Okay. So, friends, no matter how long you've been a Christian, 
no matter how many battles in which you've stood firm for truth and righteousness, if you're not looking to Jesus, what's going to, what's going to happen? You're going to fall. Moses fell. And, and friends, I believe that's the most perfect example of this point. None of us have gone through what Moses went through. And so, there's a lesson here. If Moses can fall, we can fall too. Isn't that true? And and the bad thing about this is, I mean, the sin of Moses was very grievous because he didn't have to fall. He dishonored God's sustaining power. And in this biblical instance, even though the people were wicked, did you notice something about this? Water still flowed from the rock, didn't it? Something else to notice. Even though the people were rebellious, and even though they were wicked, they never received a rebuke from God. Did you catch that? Who got the rebuke? It was Moses and Aaron that got the rebuke, didn't it? They got, the, they got rebuked by God. Back to Patriarchs and Prophets. This time, page 418. God did not on this occasion pronounce judgment upon those whose wicked course had so provoked Moses and Aaron. All the reproof fell on the leaders. Those who stood as God's representatives had not honored him. They had not honored him. In our world... There are people that think it's okay to be impatient if you're tired enough. It's okay to sound harsh if you've had a hard day or, or you've had a headache, maybe, you know. And this is something that I think we're all familiar with. We all get tired, don't we? We've all had a bad day or two, but God has never permitted us, friends, to be impatient like that. He didn't allow it in Moses, and it's not all right today. We haven't been given license to be impatient. Let me share this with you. It's from the book Mind, Character, and Personality, Volume 2, page 803. We rejoice in hope, not in feeling. In the hope of the glory of God, we know that tribulation worketh patience and experience hope. What does it mean? If we do not feel just as we want to, are we to fly into impatience, speaking those words that show that we have the attributes of Satan? We cannot afford to speak a harsh word or an unkind word because we are standing right in view of the heavenly intelligences and we are fighting the battle with all the heavenly universe looking upon us and how we grieve the heart of God when we deny Him in any way. The marks of the crucifixion in the hands of Christ show that He has graven us upon the palms of His hands. You know, friends, when I read that, I realize, and, and maybe you realize this too, that, that there will not be one harsh word spoken in heaven. Have you ever thought about that? If we are to be there, we must learn here to speak kind words. We must learn here not to speak harsh words. And, and that's, that's tough, isn't it? You know, we can be patient no matter how tired, no matter what time it is. We can be patient. The Lord has promised that. He's promised to be with us. You know, we can be patient while we're working, no matter how hot it is outside or anything else. There is no circumstance, nothing that can separate us from the sustaining power of God, except as we choose to leave Him. And that's what we too often do, isn't it? Moses didn't have to fall, and neither do we. He didn't have to. And that's a lesson for us. We can look back at Moses and see we didn't, he didn't have to fall, neither do we. Let's learn that lesson. Let me share this again from Patriarchs and Prophets. This is a great truth here. This is from page 421. She says, God has made ample provision for His people. 
And if they rely upon his strength, they will never become the sport of circumstances. The strongest temptation cannot excuse sin, however great the pressure brought to bear upon the soul. Transgression is our own act. It is not the power of earth or hell to compel anyone to evil. Satan attacks us at our weak points, but we need not be overcome, however severe or unexpected the trial. God has provided help for us, and in His strength we may conquer. We may conquer. You know, you read in the book of Revelation over and over again that only overcomers will enter into the kingdom of God. Right? We read that over and over. It's all throughout the book of Revelation. You know that 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 uh, word overcomer is better rendered conquer? Those who conquer. And here we are given ample promises of God that in His strength we may conquer. We may overcome these trials. We may overcome our tendencies. Moses could have overcame his impatience there in that one moment. But what had happened? He took his eyes off God, didn't he? And so never excuse yourself because of Moses. You don't say, well, Moses did it, so it's okay. No, Moses took his eyes off God, didn't he? Just for a moment. If Moses had kept his eye on Jesus... And the joy that was set before him, he would have had strength to endure the murmuring of the people. They've been doing it for 40 years. It's almost like, you, you know, you think, well, are they ever going to change? Yeah, yeah, it's the same old, same old, isn't it? They're just murmuring and murmuring and murmuring again. But it had wearied him, and he took his eyes off the Lord. And it's true. I mean, even the little things, the little things in life can draw our thoughts away from God, or the little things in life can draw our thoughts to heaven. And maybe if we start practicing the in the little things, looking at the little things that draw our thoughts to heaven, it will strengthen us for those, those little temptations, those little things in life that try to draw our thoughts away from it. You know, one time I was sitting in a chair uh, in our living room by our sliding door, that's what we got in the, in the back of the house, and I was reading. And I looked at the, the looked out at the, the tall grass in the backyard. And it was very interesting because it grabbed my attention. The grass was about a foot tall, maybe a little bit taller, eight, 16, 18 inches tall. And there was a gentle breeze that was blowing, and it, and it was bright outside, it was sunny outside. And the grass was gently waving in the wind. And what caught my eye was that, that it sparkled. The grass was sparkling. It was like diamonds sparkling in the sunlight. It was really quite beautiful. It, it captured my attention. And my mind just went to this quotation, and, and, I, and I want to share it with you. Um, and I think it was the Holy Spirit that brought this thought to my mind. It's found in Early Writings, page 18. And, and here she says, the prophet says, I saw a field of tall grass, most glorious to behold. It was living green, and it had a reflection of silver and gold as it waved proudly to the King Jesus. And I looked at that beautiful grass outside the window as it was waving and it was sparkling. And I thought about this, this quotation and, and I, thought, I thought to myself, I said, Lord, I want to be there. I want to be in heaven. I want to see the grass waving to honor you. I want to stand in heaven and know that, that I'm there that all temptation is forever gone and I'm eternally secure because of what you've done for me. It was just a little thing, you know. But the little things in life can remind us of heaven. Those little things can help us to endure the trials that we have while we're here. And each one of us has trials. And so we need to get our eyes off of the, the landscape of the trials of life and fix them on the joys of heaven. You see, because that will make the trials of life seem temporary, like they really are. You know, heaven's forever, isn't it? Heaven is forever. Trials are temporary. Well, they may, they may seem like they, they go on and on and on, but really this life here is just, it's just a, a spark, isn't it, in the grand scheme of things in the in the big picture 
Heaven is what is forever. Being with Jesus is what can last forever. Eternal life, that's why it's called eternal. Let's see. Trials here in this world, they're not going to last forever. Yeah. They're temporary. So when we're in the middle of the trial, when we're in the middle of the of, of let's say the river and the current strong, when people's hatred against us is so so hard to bear, and we hear scoffing remarks that, that we we know aren't true. If we get to thinking about it, friends, and take our eyes off of Jesus and start feeling sorry for ourselves, you know what what condition we may find ourselves in is that, that we're ready to, to fall. But what we need to say is, Lord, I'm much weaker than Moses. I'm very weak. Please take my eyes and help me to focus them on you. You've promised that a, a trial never would come to me that I could not bear through your strength. That's what he's promised, isn't it? In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, isn't that what it tells us? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, friends. God's faithful. You can trust Him. He's faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will, with that temptation, also make a way to escape. Escape what? The temptation. That you may be able to bear it. It's a wonderful promise. It's true. It's a true promise, isn't it? God is faithful. Have you found that to be true? Have you been tempted and you've prayed to the Lord and you've been able to escape that temptation? And so, you know, Jesus was sustained by, by looking ahead to the joy that was set before Him. We can be sustained by looking ahead to the joy that we will receive when we are with Jesus. I go back to Hebrews 12 and verse 2. This is a key to our faith, friends. Let's look unto Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. But what was the joy that he looked at? You see, he thought about the joy he would have in the future. And what did he do? He concentrated on that joy, didn't he? He kept his eye focused on that joy. And that's how he endured the cross. And by focusing on the joy ahead of him, he was able to endure the cross. And that's what we read there in Hebrews 12 too. Because of that joy, he endured the cross. And, and aren't we wanting to endure we have crosses. We are to bear the cross. It reminds me, you know, I read about a soldier who was taken captive and he, he was put in one of the worst communist concentration camps that there was. And I've shared this before with you. I've shared this story before. It's just a remarkable story. One of the things they did to this poor guy was that they shoved him in a cage that was too small for him. And they'd keep him there for days. I mean days and days. Many of the soldiers that they that they put in these camps and they would put in these little cages, they didn't survive that kind of treatment. It's terrible. Gosh, it is so terrible what what humans controlled by Satan can do to other humans. And we're going to see worse things, friends. It's just terrible. But but this story here, it, they never broke this man's spirit. And after he was released, they I remember reading, you know, they interviewed him. I mean, what was his secret? How did he endure all that? Well, he said, when I was in that uncomfortable cage, it was horrible. He said, my whole body ached and I longed to stretch. Gosh, I just can't imagine. I mean, I'm a bit claustrophobic and I just it makes me shudder when I read this and think about this. But can you imagine? I mean, every his whole body ached. <laughs> he just needed to stretch. And he said... While he was in that cage, he would think of his wife and what it would be like when, when he came home and, and what she would say, how happy she, she would be. And he said, I would think of that by the hour. This man liked to play golf. 
And so he said as he lay in that little cage, he would practice his golf swing in his mind. He would play a round of golf in the golf course that he, that he played back home. He would think about every hole, you know, in his mind. Well, one day he was released. You know, he was set free. And after he healed, he went and he played a game of golf on that course that he was so familiar with. And he said that he shot the best game he ever had. That's a remarkable story, really, of endurance. You know, he'd been practicing golf in a cage for months. He'd been practicing how to swing his golf club, all the while looking forward to getting home. He was looking forward to that joy, you see. And what was the joy that Jesus was thinking about while he was on the cross? In Isaiah 65, in verse 19, it says, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in, in her, nor the voice of crying. What was Jesus thinking about while he was on the cross? Well, friends, he was thinking about you. And he was thinking about me. He was thinking about the joy of my people. That was the focus of his thoughts. Jesus endured because he was thinking of the delight you would have in his kingdom. He was thinking of how happy you would be. He was thinking about how joyous your heart would be to be set free from the devil and to live eternally. You could say that you were on his mind. He saw the happy looks that would be on your face. And so he endured the cross. As, as we read, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Well, friends, do you know how you can endure? You can endure by thinking about Him. He endured by thinking about you, how happy you would be when He wiped all your tears away on that great day when He returned. You can endure by thinking about Him and what He went through for you. You'll have strength to go through the trials of life, to be patient, to to overcome all anger, all fretfulness, all the temptations that the devil's going to throw at you. Well, you know, sure, it's going to be difficult, friends. The Bible doesn't tell us it's an easy path. It's going to be difficult. But what Jesus has done for you wasn't easy. Jesus was pained with the cutting remarks that were said about him, but he never murmured. He never complained. You see, friends, we need to get our minds off the trials that we go through, off the trials of this life. We need to have our mind riveted on the one that has gone through the trials already. When he was on the cross, you know, they, they ridiculed Jesus. And these were people, his own professed people. Where do you think we're going to be ridiculed from in the days ahead? It's not going to be so much from the world, although it will be from people from the world. But it's going to be from people who had once called us brethren. And that's the hardest to take, isn't it? It's going to be from family members. And that's going to be hard to take. These were the kinds of people that ridiculed, ridiculed Jesus while he was hanging on a cross. They made sneering remarks that cut to the very quick of his heart. So he knows what it means to be reproached. He knows what it means to be betrayed. He knows what it means to be alone. But he endured. You see? He endured just thinking of the joy that he could bring to you by what he was going through. And you can endure thinking about the joy that you can bring to him. You know, there's a wonderful joy that's laid up for the saints, friends. A great part of that joy will be in seeing how happy our Lord is. 
Think about that for a while. When we overcome temptation, when we overcome, when we conquer, imagine how happy that makes Jesus. Wouldn't you like to see the smile of Jesus when you meet Him face to face? We're coming into a hard time, friends. We need to have this endurance. Jesus gives us a warning in Mark chapter 13. It's not going to be easy. Nobody promised us an easy path. Jesus said He'll always be with us. He gives us a warning in Mark 13, verse 12. He says, Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son. And children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You see, friends, righteousness and truth don't mix with error. And if you're standing in defense of truth, what's going to happen? You're going to be hated. And you may even be hated by your own family. Are you ready to endure hatred? Are you ready to endure hatred from your family? Maybe your spouse, your children. And Jesus said, if you endure, you will be saved. But the time is coming when all hatred will be at an end, friends. It's just for a moment, remember. Heaven's for a lifetime. These trials are for a moment in the grand scheme of things. The time's coming when all hatred will be at an end. Isaiah 35 and verse 10 says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Sorrow and sighing will someday be forever gone. It's going to be destroyed. How do we have that steadfast endurance? Well, friends, we've got to keep our eye upon Jesus. We've got to think of His joy. We've got to think of what He did for us. And when we do that, we keep our eyes upon Him, we can endure anything. Because His strength will be our strength. We need to look to Jesus. You see, He can give he can give us hope. You know, you may feel trapped in a set of circumstances that are out of your control. You're in the middle of a trial. You know, if you look to Jesus, what's what's he going to do? He he'll give you comfort. He'll bring that peace to your heart. He'll give you the endurance that you need. He will give you the joy that you're longing for. And you'll have peace. It's an amazing thing. You'll have peace in the middle of, of the trial. I mean, look at the apostles. They're thrown in jail. They're going to be executed. And they're singing hymns to the Lord. They're singing hymns. You're going to have a peace in the middle of these trials because Jesus is sufficient to take you through them. Remember again, and never forget Hebrews 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And friends, His promise is that He will not only take you through these trials, that you will be more than conquerors through him, but you too, one day, when he returns, and that day is very soon, you will sit down next to him, co heirs to the kingdom. And so, what does the Bible tell us? How do we have this steadfast endurance? Well, we have this steadfast endurance of the saints that we read there in Revelation 14 by looking unto Jesus always. That's why I like to say, keep looking up. 
keep looking up no matter what is hitting you in this world keep looking up to Jesus let's pray Father in heaven we thank you so much for Jesus the author and finisher of our faith he did all these things because he loves us he did all those things to set us free that we may have hope that we may have strength to endure that we may endure all the fiery darts of the wicked and the devil. That we may be conquerors over the beast in his image. That we may have that joy of seeing him smile in happiness that we will be with him forever. Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for your love and care for us. We especially appreciate the Sabbath day that you created that we may gain that peace of heaven. Please continue to bless us on this day. And bless us each and every day, preparing us for that day when we can stand and be a right example of what Christ is to humanity. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus, who is so worthy. Amen.